Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for a number of years and have seen everything. <laughs> everything. Feels and it. as damaged as we are, we are, we are just in the midst of seeing everything. Um, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. All right, well, first of all, let's be very self-conscious because this is going to be the first episode where we're both together, and it's also going to be posted on YouTube. So if you guys want to go and find Ablaze Ministries YouTube channel, you can see these handsome chaps. Matt, with a uh, a growing a growing beard. Yeah, it's on its way back. So are you telling me I can't pick my nose for like the next 30 minutes? I'm letting you know that you absolutely can. Just the whole world will see. Our oh, okay. last video already has 13 views. Yeah! So the whole world will see it as in 13 people? Well, this is so far. You don't understand how this vi- virality <laughs> thing works. It's 13 today. Next week, it'll be up to 26. And then 26 million after that. So if we wanted to go viral, we need to pick our noses at least twice during this video. <laughs> well, you've already done it once. <laughs> Our podcast <laughs> listeners are now intrigued to head over to, uh, to YouTube to find it there. Um, anyways, we'd love for you guys to join us and engage in any way you would like. But if you want to see these handsome little beards growing, uh, Matt is in the uh, in the seating stage. He looks like coffee. I am. It's about two weeks face. in. It's coming back. Yeah, it is. It is. So, well, I know that we're still in the midst of the pandemic, and I don't want to be dismissive of that. Um, but in this time, uh, I think sometimes it's helpful to take a step back and look at kind of the bigger picture. And so that's what I wanted to uh, to dive into today. That's what we wanted to dive into today is uh, really kind of uh, the idea of conversion, the, the 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 process of taking a person from um, you know an unbaptized all the way to a disciple, and some of the different pieces in between. I am Join us. like I'm happy to dive into this. Um, it just like I don't know if anybody else has the same sense about them as I do, but it just feels like I don't know. And and we need to do stuff like this, Chris, and we need to dive into stuff like this in order to be prepared for when this is over. Or maybe we need to talk about it and see what it looks like in this situation. But it almost seems sometimes useless to talk about this stuff when you can't actually put it into action. You can't actually do it. So before, before, like nobody knows what we're talking about yet, Um, you do. So why don't you talk a little bit about what we are going to be diving into this time, and then maybe we can talk about whether or not it's useless. (laughs) Great. So I want to keep setting it up, but basically you have a pagan and a pagan becomes a Christian and a Christian becomes a disciple and some disciples become disciple makers. That's kind of the idea. Now, for the longest time, a successful ministry was aimed at let's make them a Christian. Let's tell them about Jesus. And then we'd, we'd walk away being happy that we were able to engage them onto a level to where they had a second grade understanding of Jesus Christ. Can I ask just like real quick, you said a, a lot of times successful ministry was gauged by that. Can you really say that within our church? <laughs> that, that like, did people intentionally make Christians, you know, or did they just so happen to have some because of RCIA? Say that again. So it sounded like you said that uh, the goal of the church was to make Christians or the, the goal of ministry was to make Christians. And I, like, I don't know, I feel like even, even at that level, um, it, that wasn't necessarily the goal, but we don't need to poke holes in everything around this, you know, but I think, I feel like the goal was just to, you know, to run a program or whatever. And if we had people in it, that's great. Um, does that make sense? 
Well, I, I think you're going back 20 years. I'm going back 2,000 years when you're talking about the goal. I think the goal 2,000 years ago was to make Christians. Absolutely. Because there was no distinction between a Christian and a disciple. Gotcha. But as our society has grown and developed, especially after the Kumbaya catechesis that experienced in the 1970s, I believe that there is a distinction between a Christian and a disciple. And I want to tease that out today. Yeah, I think and that's I, an important like, distinction. I don't think that's just happened in the last 40 years. I, I think this is something that, you know, we've had in probably in the longest history of the church, like all 2000 years, um, even though maybe in the very beginning there was less of a distinction. I, I still like am willing to bet that there that over the centuries there have been like thousands or millions of people who said the rosary and that was it, you know, or you know, went and sat and listened to mass, didn't actually know what was going on. And they did it because they were supposed to, not because they were a disciple. And it's interesting because there've been different things in historically where the church has responded to that. So yeah. the the lack of literacy was responded to by the stained glass and putting imagery into it, um, the vernacular, right? Putting the mass from Latin into the vernacular, the, the language of the people, is another way to make it more accessible. But you're absolutely right. There were probably a good number of generations. The only Latin they knew was from Mass, and yeah. they didn't really know what it meant. They just knew how to respond. And so this this obedient Christian, as opposed to an engaged disciple, um, may have been a, uh, a tension that has existed for, for centuries. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's um, maybe even potentially a little arrogant, you know, for— us, you know, in this day and age to think that we're like, this is a novel thing that the church is struggling with, you know, uh, you know, like we've discovered it, you know, and it's like, no, we didn't discover this. This has been going on, you know, forever. And, you know, we aren't the only ones to ever have addressed this, you know, maybe we are addressing it in a new way. Great. So sorry, a complete tangent. Sorry, guys. Now, an age-old problem <laughs> is still a problem. Amen. So let's move forward. So I'm going to actually share the screen for all of our YouTube people. They can see it. And, uh, and brace yourself, Chris. Just brace, <laughs> brace yourself. Brace yourself, guys, for, for this graphic. <laughs> Here it comes. I'm making fun of you before it's even up. I know. I started trying to redo it. I didn't have enough time to finish it all. I only got through two of them. So, so here we are. Yeah, Matt, can Clip you see art, it on baby. your screen? Clip art, baby. Clip art. It is it is ugly clip art, okay? Um, but I'm going to annotate it, so it's going to be fun. Um, so here we go. <laughs> we have a pagan, right? And it's an image of a pirate, right? An unwashed heathen. If you are a pirate and you're offended by this, I apologize. Um, but here we go. So a pagan is someone who is non-baptized. A non-baptized person would be considered a, uh, a pagan or a, just a non-baptized. That's a nicer way to say it. But once they're baptized, they become... Christian. They become a Christian. And they there look peaceful go. like that all the time. And they, Yes, and they have to have uh, the prayer of the folded hands. And then a, a, a Christian uh, is, is known and then becomes what? When they're fully alive, a Christian fully alive is a... A disciple. A disciple. And so this this is um, it, you don't accidentally become a disciple. No, right? you don't. Just by being a Christian, you don't just become a disciple. You can um, incidentally become a Christian, though. Yes. By the fact that you exist in a family that chose to have you baptized. True. 
you become a child of God, you become a Christian. Uh, but you can only become an intentional, intentionally become a disciple. So yep. now, what is the distinction between a Christian and a disciple? Because isn't a Christian supposed to be a disciple? And that's where the historical reality, the definition of a Christian, I don't think that, uh, t- you know, Paul writing Timothy would make a distinction between the two. Because Christians were being fed to the lions. They were all in. At a certain point yep. in history, they were all in. And Matt, yep. your point is well made that that distinction has been um, blurred uh, for centuries. Uh, but a Christian today, uh, the average Christian attends Mass about one time a month. Mm. I know, right? Like uh, That beats the average for me in the last month. But that's neither <laughs> here nor there. It's because of the pandemic. But in whatever normal times were, the average Christian would attend once a month. And, uh, and, you know, average Christian or average Catholic, I'm sorry, the average Catholic. Yes. And, uh, but, but I think the stats are, are largely similar that there's about a 37% uh, participation rate on a monthly basis. And that's what they would consider uh, a a, a Christian or regular practice. Like that's the demographic now to be considered practicing regularly means you attend once a month, Mm -hmm. according to some of the Gallup, uh, surveys and, 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 uh, and Barna research and, and things of that nature. And so that means they're defined by, by membership. That means they might be going there to receive um, a sacrament or, uh, you know, and you see that at Ash Wednesday, right? A lot of people go so they can get their ashes. In fact, if you sit in the average, uh, the average Ash Wednesday mass, you can see that there's a mass exodus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh, not only are his, his images cheesy, your jokes are cheesy. There's a mass exodus after the ashes. Are you in full dad mode today or what? Oh, totally, 100%. Yeah, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to my life, COVID, man. Um, and so, at, uh, yeah, at, uh, there's a mass exodus after the ashes because they've received something even though the mass isn't completed, you know? And so we see yep. that, that there's consumer Christianity, and then there's also cultural Christianity. So why am I a Christian? Why do I practice the faith? Well, the answer is simple. Because my mom and dad do. I want to get married in the church to similar people. And so um, they all say we're going to have a Catholic wedding. So I need to make sure that I'm Catholic. I need to get my confirmation to be able to get married in the church. Whatever it is, um, it's it's a cultural Christianity. Now, that is defined by membership. Whereas if we move over and look at a disciple, again, the difference between a Christian and a disciple— a disciple doesn't go to Mass because they want to be seen or because they're members there. A disciple goes to Mass because it fills them up and it sends them forth in the sending rite. It sends them forth into mission. So it's the distinction between membership as a Christian and mission as a disciple, right? Well, and it's a desire versus a requirement. Right. It, it, yeah. So, so faith is a noun as a Christian, whereas faith is a verb, a lived experience, a relationship as opposed to um, an exchange, maybe, or, or an intimate relationship as opposed to just your uh, a typical, a typical relationship. Yeah, and I don't know if anybody my nose, else has I'm not the... picking my nose, you too. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has the like. I had a, a period of time in my prayer life where I was, I, I realized that I was, I was seeing myself more as. Um, a slave, you know, rather than a friend. Now, that's not the, the like that's the terminology that Jesus used. I no longer call you slaves; I call you friends. Right. You know, and a different terminology might be, you know, something a little softer than that. But like, I'm supposed to do all this stuff. I'm supposed to do all the right things, rather than I'm supposed to be in a loving, like, real relationship with Jesus. And that's the difference between Christian and disciple. 
Right. The next piece is a disciple can move to a disciple maker. Not all disciples are called to be disciple makers, but um, some are called to be disciple makers, to draw disciples into a, to draw Christians into discipleship. Do you see what I'm saying? To, yeah, to take I, people who are Christians and engage them in dynamic and profound ways to uh, to foster discipleship in them. So not all disciples are called to be disciple makers? Correct. Elaborate on that. Okay, great. And so let's just go backwards through the list, and I think it will help um, it will help bring that bring, tease that out. So a disciple maker it makes what? Disciples. So a disciple maker makes disciples. Disciples are called to do what? To, make to go Christians. out and baptize. Yeah. To go out and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptizing people means you have to find people who are unbaptized so they make Christians. That is their mission, is to make Christians, to take those who are unbaptized and make them Christian. Now, Christians make what? And here's the scandalizing part. Yep. Christians make pagans. Why? Because in the average Christian family that goes to Mass once a month— prays together that awkward Thanksgiving prayer, and that's about it, that by the time their children are age 22, 78% of them have left the faith. 78% have left the faith. And so that Christian family, that quote-unquote Christian family, consumer Christian, cultural Christian, whatever it was or is, has now created a pagan by the time their young adult hits age 22. And this isn't news for those of us in ministry. It just may be one of those things we don't talk about or we don't say out loud because it seems, I don't know, mean um, or uncharitable. But it's like this is the like, honestly, this is the whole reason for this podcast is to talk about stuff that makes us uncomfortable. Um, Not only do nominally Christian families end up creating pagans, even if they're like, like they're baptized pagans, Chris. Like, so, like, that's weird. Not only that, but then the people that see that as labeled a Christian family, it's not exactly enticing. You know, when you see that level of engagement, that level of joy or lack thereof, it's not exactly going to make me want to be Christian. So it may actually do more than, you know, more damage than just to their family. It may do damage like from people that are interested in becoming Catholic or interested in becoming Christian. And then they see a lack of anything exciting, a lack of joy. And they're like, well, I might as well stay a pagan. (laughs) You know, they they wouldn't say that necessarily to themselves. But does that that make sense? It totally makes sense. So I'm going to go to a, a big, a big flashback. Are you ready for this? Let's go. This is DC Talk. Do you remember that album, Jesus Freak? Uh, no. Okay. Well, do you remember the band DC Talk? Yeah, yeah. And I know that song that you're talking about. Like, but yeah. It starts out, it says, The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. Mm. That is yeah. what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Yeah. That's the opening to, 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 to one of their songs, and it's, it's, it's profound and it's powerful. Um, and we look at Ephesians in regards to what you talk about, these baptized pagans, right? Or, or as a friend of mine says, sacramentalized pagans. And I yep. think there can be some truth to that, but I know that the sacraments are efficacious. Yep. And so if the sacraments are efficacious, we go to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Wake up, sleeper, 
rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Like, I believe that there is an army of what I would call the lukewarm that are just asleep to the reality of grace, to the presence of God in their life. And that's the beauty of kind of the disciple maker. That's the beauty of this potential of encouraging people to move from what their experience of the Christian faith has always been into a more dynamic living. Why? Why would you want to live in the slavery of an obedience to the, the, the church and all its rules when you can rather be invited into the adventure, the radical adventure of God's love? And yet, sometimes I still hear people talk about, oh yeah, the Catholic Church and all its rules, and I, I don't want to live that way. And it's like, what about the Catholic Church and all of its love? Like, why isn't that people's experience? And what you said hits it. Because there's a bunch of a bunch of lukewarm Catholics out there that are just Christians, not disciples, that don't radiate the aroma of Christ. Right? That's yep. one of the things with confirmation. That's why the sacred chrism that is that you're anointed with at baptism, at ordination, and at confirmation has a sweet smell to it because we're called to give off the aroma of Christ. And then there's the lukewarm that 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 stagnant water creates the odor of Christianity sometimes. And I think that that is highly, highly problematic. So, um. To let you know where, where all this kind of resonates and comes together is I believe that we can have a, a confirmation program, and I've said this before, where teens can come, jump through all the hoops, meet all the requirements, and receive a sacrament they don't understand from a God they don't know in a church they rarely attend. And because we've got 50 kids, 60 kids who have gone through it, we call it a success, we applaud, and we do it all again when less than 50% come back the next year, and we call that success. That's not appropriate, right? And so in Revelations uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 16, so this is another 3.16, not John 3.16, but a Revelations 3.16, it says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you from my mouth. And I think that we have a different type of pandemic that exists in Christianity today, the pandemic of the lukewarm. And as ministry leaders, I think sometimes we feel scared. Our backs feel up against the wall for one reason or another. And so we say, hey, at least we're getting them to show up. Instead of challenging the people that we minister to, to really make a choice. If you're going to show up and you don't want to be here, and you're in a place where you can make that decision, why don't you take a break? Be honest with yourself and be cold. Don't don't lie and be fake warm. You know what I mean? Don't be lukewarm. Um, but if you're going to show up and you want to be here, like show up all the way up. Like, what would it mean for us to be in a place to where it's like, we are going to welcome these people and engage them radically, dynamically? Because I see a lot of times programming run of casting a net so wide that sometimes those that are on fire are sitting next to those that just are not passionate at all. And that lack of passion seems to be more contagious than the fire of those who are on fire. And it's because we, we're trying to equip them all at the same level. And I think that's problematic. You uh, you talked for a long time that time. Sorry, I preach. <laughs> you kind of just went. Um, so I think you know most people listening to this, at least in from what I believe about our audience, at least the first half of what you shared, they know, like they know that di- discipleship roadmap. You know what it looks like to go from, you know, um, what is it? Even Sherry Waddell uses something similar, but not quite just. She like does that. the thresholds, correct? You know? Yeah. The part that's new to me is the other half of it, like the going backwards, because there's a truth that I don't think people really want to believe, um, and sometimes they reject this thought, is you are always moving 
one direction or the other. Like in the spiritual life, you, you, there is no such thing as standing still. You are, you are growing closer to God or you're growing further away. Yes, and so absolutely. I would say the same thing with regards to this. Um, if it, you're going one direction or the other, you're, you're not just standing still. Right. And so that's something, you know, to, to keep in mind with regards to this whole discipleship and growth and where do we want to be on this? You, you don't just rest in, in, in a certain spot. That's why I was challenging a little bit about on the, on the, the disciple, because I do believe that disciples are on that progression, you know, towards being disciple makers, even if it's just one person. And, and, and I would agree, because if you journey with someone from being a, a, a an unbaptized person to a baptized person, right, you, you help them become a Christian, then we are called to continue to journey with them as they continue to grow in their in their faith life, right? So ultimately, every parent is called to be a disciple maker. You got your kids baptized, and at baptism, there is a, a line that you commit to continue to rear your child in the faith. That line is you promise to be a disciple maker, to make this child a disciple, not just a Christian. They got baptized. They got the sacramental check mark. No, to dynamically live in the light of Christ. It's just, it's not happening on a wide scale. And in specific circumstances and instances, we can all name some people that are like, that person is a disciple maker. This is an amazing family. But stats show that like we're losing overall. And I want to talk about what's at stake just, just briefly. First of all, for uh, for those of us who are parents, who uh, maybe don't pray together as a family, who maybe don't uh, uh, don't don't have uh, faith conversations on a regular basis in the family, um, or for those of us who are ministry leaders who aren't fostering these realities in the domestic church in the home, here here's what's at stake. First of all, that the grandchildren most likely will not be baptized, and baptism is one of those things that's necessary for salvation which means that heaven looks a little bit different two generations from now, two generations. It also means that our jobs are in peril for those full-time ministry leaders out there. Why would a church continue to pay someone to, uh, to instruct, to form, to journey with a group, whether it's youth ministry teens, whether it's any of the ministries that exist, if there's no, no one showing up for those programs, right? And two generations is what we're looking at in regards to that, that fading away if people aren't going to get their kids baptized after the next generation of pagans go through the cultural Catholics or the consumer Catholics that exist. And so, like, heaven is a concern, salvation is a concern, but also, like, our industry. I know that sounds so weird to call it an industry, but, like, professional ministry leaders, our church's ability to be able to invest full-time in ministry leadership outside of the clergy is at stake here if we don't start shifting from the lukewarm to the dynamic. And Matt is frozen right now, frozen in time with a smile. It's a very beautiful smile, but I do not see him moving right now. All right, guys, I am back. Uh, Matt actually lost power uh, in the midst of that recording. So I'm going to go ahead and finish the episode um, on my own, and we'll see if this gets uploaded to YouTube or not. I know we made some promises there in the beginning. We'll see what happened as he was the recording end of, uh, of everything. Uh, but nevertheless, you guys, the idea behind it is we are called to in- engage and enrich people at a level that goes beyond maybe what was traditionally considered um, acceptable. You know, we can no longer say, hey, 
just uh, just going through the motions is acceptable, uh, but rather we have to foster a radical engagement uh, into the adventure of God's will. And to be honest, when we look at that, we look at the other people who have dynamic prayer lives, who have clear relationship with Jesus, who are living and sharing and serving others uh, from a place of faith, from Christ. They're having a better time with this whole life thing than we are. They have more hope. They're people filled with peace. Um, and so that's what we want our people to experience as well. So often I've seen people aim the bar at just a Christian. I think we need to choose to raise the bar to a new level. And that does mean that there are some people that won't necessarily reach the bar. So here's my proposal in regards to how do we navigate that. For those that might not reach the bar right now, we're equipping those who can reach that bar and achieve discipleship. We're equipping them to become better at drawing people deeper into the faith which means that over time, it won't be an us, it won't be an our program, but it'll be the fruits of us, the fruits of our program, and that will make it possible to be able to make it a reality. So I want to encourage you and challenge you guys to equip those within your own programs to the depth and to the adventure, to the depth and the heights of God's plan as a disciple, even if it means that some of the Christians or some of those who are kind of halfway engaged are made uncomfortable by it, because then we can equip those disciples to journey with them individually, a bandwidth that we might not have, a relationship that we might not have. We can't make disciples of the, of the youth uh, that aren't coming to our youth programs. But if we make disciples of the youth who are, then we have disciples sitting next to them at the lunch table. We have disciples sitting next to them in the classroom. We have disciples asking them on dates to the prom and that type of thing. And so we need to shift into that bigger disciple mentality, which means that every ministry leader should seek to be a disciple maker, even if we are also disciples as a part of our disciple making behavior. So that is it for today. You guys, please join us on uh, on our uh, uh, Facebook group. It's uh, Ministry Leaders Anonymous. You just search that. It's a closed Facebook group. Um, continue the conversation online. Any feedback, any pushback, any questions, dialogue, or pieces that you're like, we just need to go a little bit deeper into that, you can email us at mla at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone, maybe your ministry team, to be able to get them involved. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders. And actually take some time during COVID to take a step back and look at your programming. Where is your programming aimed? Are you aiming at, uh, at just, just fostering that kind of machine of consumer Catholicism? Are you honoring cultural Catholicism and drawing it out? Because they're there for a reason and drawing them out and drawing them into discipleship. Um, are you a disciple maker? Look and examine at those things and, uh, and, and discern it. And we will see you next time on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Thank you so much and God bless.